The bark collar fried a hole in her neck because she kept barking through the pain. Let's get right into it. It says, hey Jeremy, I've watched a lot of your videos. Love your work as a trainer. Reaching out to you kind of as a last ditch effort. I can't figure this out and I really need some help with an exclamation point. So um, again, sometimes when you read stuff, it's different than what it probably is meant to be delivered, but we do the best we can in this format. So uh, he says, I have a two and a half year old GSP that I got about a year and a half ago. The issue is she's a very noisy dog. I don't believe she was ever properly crate trained, and after all the time I've had her, I still can't get her to stop whining in the crate. This is, however, a large upgrade from the screaming in the crate when I first got her. She also excited barks when I walk in the door. She has just become a nuisance barker anytime she's in a situation that she doesn't want to be in. I've tried crate training as you would a puppy. I've tried e-collar stimulation. I've tried bark collars and nothing seems to work. The e-collar will cause her to continue to whine while staring at you with her neck twitching. And most recently, the bark collar fried a hole in her neck because she just kept barking through the pain. I'm really struggling. I would also like to add that she has no issues going into the crate. She does that like a seasoned dog. It's just once she's in there, she doesn't and she doesn't want to be. Thanks for any help or advice. So I, you know, I'm, We'll talk about it. Well, we won't talk about it specifically right away. We'll start out with this collar thing. So I recently recorded a podcast um, on a different podcast. It was actually on a, a podcast called Gundog It Yourself. But it was specifically regarding e-collar use and force fetch. So this message um, touches a bit on the collars. And so <laughs> there is a point in the podcast that we talk about I question, you know, the idea of what a what a what a shock collar really does. Uh, I call it a shock collar because I think that's what it does. It produces shock, uh, a shock, an, uh, an electrical shock by some definition. But then I was corrected that it's not electricity. It's static, is what I have listened to, and I always question like, well, isn't static? If you finish the term, it's static electricity. So, tomato, tomato, whatever you want to call it. This one says that the e-collar causes her to twitch and she stares right through them. You know, the stimulation on it is this dog has got an incredible um, amount of tolerance, it sounds like. And the bark collar fried a hole in her neck because she kept barking through the pain. To me, that's an interesting thing. And I, 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 you know, it's why I'm just not big on the idea of that type of training. The simply the idea that the bark collar fried a hole in her neck. Oh man. So let's let's talk specific we'll talk specifically on this one. So it's as I reassess things here, you got two and a half year old GSP. Now you says you got it a year and a half ago, so you got it when it was about a year old. I do think that some things to take into consideration when assessing this situ this situation is what happened that first year? And you said it yourself, you said, the, um, I don't believe she was ever properly crate trained. So that's, you're probably right. And that's probably part of it. But the other part of it is, is 
You know, she excitedly barks when you walk in the door. She's a nuisance barker anytime she's in a situation that she doesn't want to be in. She's a whiner, it sounds like. You know, a lot of that I do think is genetic. Um, and so it can be. It, it can be created as well. But I do think that a lot of that audible stuff, you see like throws like. And as you as you look back, you know, if there's a possibility to look back on the generations preceding this dog, you may likely find something repeated. And so I, I'm into Labradors pretty heavily and, and whining is something that unacceptable. Like the lines that, that I'm buying from and, and breeding to and breeding from of our own, we just can't have a, a squeaky dog. Um, it's, it's a fault that it is a big deal because it's in the reason it's such a big deal is because it's passed on. It is genetic. Now, can you stop it? Um, I think, I think there's things you can do early on, especially to discourage it and, and change the behavior. But I think then I, I, I also think that there's a lot of stuff that we can change, um, behavior-wise with training. That's the problem. I mean, that's the good that's the good part, but it's the problem when it comes to breeding. Because I think a lot of times we see repeated issues because we've become so accustomed to or comfortable with the idea of just train it out later. And I'm a I'm a proponent of the idea of natural natural first and foremost it just makes our lives a lot easier it makes um the dogs much more enjoyable consistency to me is really really important uh when it comes to producing dogs and and trying to maintain a, a standard or a level of quality within a dog and so yeah you can train a lot of the stuff out but then i think it that doesn't get rid of it for the next generation. So could this be genetic? Yeah, probably. I would guess it probably is somehow connected and related to it. The year that you didn't have the dog, could something have happened there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it a combination of both? Probably. So I, I look at this one and this one's an extreme. So normally I would say, well, you just gotta, you gotta wait, you gotta be patient and you gotta wait it out. You gotta let the dog understand that it doesn't get what it wants based on that behavior. So like the whining and the barking and the fussing and the throwing the fit, it's like the toddler throwing the tantrum. I got a four-year-old daughter who, um, she just turned four and my wife and I, we uh, were very, we're on the same page 95% of the time, 5% of the time. And it's not because it's just, we're, we're different people, but so we're on the we're on the same page, I think, raising kids the great majority of the time. But my wife is a lot more patient than I am when it comes to raising kids. And she's also a lot more empathetic when it comes to life in general. And so when it comes to raising kids and you combine all these things with her patience and her understanding, and she's a probably a much better student than I when it comes to like learning about different techniques and ideas when it comes to stuff. And raising kids would be one of those things. So 
she her approach at times is different than mine with our little one. And so I have and I, and I and I don't think it's right or wrong. I, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and I'm not saying my way is right or wrong, but we take a different approach to it. And so one of the things that I have done is when she's when when our little one has thrown fits, like tantrum y type stuff, I just leave it alone. I don't I just don't I just walk away because it pisses me off and I don't want to be angry at her. I mean she's three or four and what I don't understand is I don't I don't I didn't recognize or I don't recognize well enough um the idea of like the emotions that these kids are going through, especially at those ages, I don't really give a shit about it, to be honest with you. That, that was my attitude before. I don't care. You don't act that way. Well, I think it probably comes from my upbringing as well. Like my parents, I think that's how my parents probably approached it, similar to how I approach it. And I think that it's a real good example of like produces like. So, and it's some of it's cultural and, and, and so my, my kids will be raised different than I was because I have outside influence. I've got my wife and, and her approach to it. So, and I, and she's also opened my eyes to some things, makes me think about things. And I act differently now than I did prior to meeting her. So when it comes to, can you change that stuff? Yes, I think you can change some of it, but that's the cultural impact, but the genetic part remains and so with my little one when she would throw a fit some of my approach was well, just throw your fit I'm not gonna I'm not gonna entertain it I'm not gonna try to negotiate with you I'm not gonna try to convince you to you know I'm not gonna yell at you more I think that creates fuel on the fire that doesn't help it my 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 approach has been ignore it I just leave her alone. And I, and I try, what I would say to her is, let me know when you're ready to talk. Off I go, do my thing. I, I, and, and for me personally, it's worked pretty good. Now, sometimes there's other approaches to it. My wife will talk with her a little bit more about it. My wife will ask her why she's feeling that way. My wife, and that's fine. And I think you can do that with kids because you do get some more feedback that's um, understandable, I would say. Like, they can, they, you know, a three-year-old can communicate pretty good. Four-year-old can communicate pretty good. So, but my puppy can't. My dog can't. And so my approach to raising kids is a lot like my approach to raising puppies and dogs. It's scary how similar they are, I guess. But most of the time, I think it really works. And it works pretty well. And so with the idea of ignoring it, so that's what I would first do. I'd just ignore it. I'd let the dog, let the dog make the scene. And it can't get rewarded. And I, I typically get the, a message like this when people get their dogs home and they've only had them home for a few days. And this is what I talked about yesterday in the podcast that I recorded was, you know, that I, it's common for people to freak out because the dog's barking or whining in the crate. And they just can't get it to be quiet. And I, what ends up happening 99% of the time is the dog gets attention for it. And sometimes it's coddling. Sometimes it's hollering. But attention is attention to that puppy. And what the puppy 
figures out is the, what it wants is attention and how to get it is to make the fu- make a fuss. And so I do think there's things that you can do to help some dogs get through that. There's other podcasts that we've talked about this crate training process and in our um, puppy video, we, we go into it. There's a whole chapter on it, but I'm going to cover that crate. I'm going to put the crate strategically in the right spot so that it's not making it any harder than it needs to be. I'm going to incrementally um, add distractions to it and try to ease my way into this. And if I do it from the start and I do it with a plan and I do it consistently, I usually get pretty good results. You don't know what happened for the first year with this GSP. You knew you had an issue when it came. The thing that kind of throws me a curveball is you said that um, I still can't get her to stop whining in the crate. This is, however, a large upgrade from the screaming in the crate when I first got her. So it sounds like you actually are progressing. So I don't want to tell you to give up because what's probably happening is, is you're just not getting results as quickly as you'd like. And I understand that, especially in this case. But I got news for you. Things don't always go as fast as we would like. I'd like to be, I just put, made a post on our social media page, uh, Instagram, and I think it'll go to Facebook too, maybe not. But um, it's a one year ago today, Makina, our, our setter puppy, I, I want to say pointed her first woodcock, but uh, I don't know. I guess she kind of pointed it, but there were woodcock here last year at this time. For the first time, I heard him painting the night before, and the next evening I went out and I took her, and she was six months old. I don't even think she was six months old. She's about five months old, I guess. Maybe four, four, four or five months old. Five months, probably. And she heard the bird, smelled the bird, saw the bird, was pretty curious about the bird, kind of pointed the bird, not really, but kind of. And so... That was a year ago. Today, today I look out there, I can't even see my wife's garden yet because it's still under the snow. So would I like for us to be training on woodcock right now? Yes, I would. A lot. Should we? Maybe. You know, but as, I won't get into this, but like, you know, the global change type stuff. Yeah, well, I got two feet of snow plus and it's, March 20 something. So whatever the reason is, it's winter's really dragging on here. And so I have to be patient and I have to recognize that it'll come. So I just posted that to be patient. It'll come. I'd like to be doing that right now, but I'm not, but we'll get there. And so you would like to be where you want to be with this dog, but you're not. So you can, you know, you got to be patient at times. And if you're seeing progress, I keep working towards that. Now, here's here's the outside the box thinking that after I read this, I decided to make it into a podcast because I, I think this had been too much to type back to you. But here's here's a question. Instead of fixing, like, if you can't do this, like that, I would try to do that. If you can't do this, do that successfully. Here's my next question for you. How come you need to have a, the dog in the crate? Because if you, depending on its other behavioral stuff, if you can trust the dog, like I've got Makina, I don't kennel her anymore. I don't crate, I don't put her in a crate. She lays on her place. So I place trained her. She's very good at that. And she doesn't even go in the crate. She goes in on her place. I crate her very rarely. On occasion, I might put her in a kennel. 
Um, but it's not very often. And so my question to you would be, could you get the dog to the point where you could place train the dog and not have to put it on a crate? Now, will it whine on the place? Maybe. I don't know. Some dogs, um, some dogs do that too. Some dogs are whiny and that goes back to that genetic thing. And some dogs, you, you're, you're going to struggle in mo a lot of environments. But if the, if the excessive stuff that becomes so hard to tolerate is because you're putting the dog in the crate, what about thinking about getting past the idea and say, well, we're just not going to crate this one. There's no rules that say you have to. Do you want to? For sure. Do you have to? No, I don't think so. So it's something to think about. And I, you know, this isn't an interactive podcast where I could ask you questions, but sometimes it's the most obvious answer for us. But because it doesn't really fit whatever format or sets of rules that we think are there, we just don't even kind of think about it or we overlook it. I'm not saying that's the answer here, but that's why I said this is kind of a different podcast because this could this one could be. I don't know. Maybe that's the dumbest idea I've ever given anybody. Maybe you're going to say, I can't believe I didn't just think of that myself. Which really, she never chews anything up. She's never going to wreck anything. She likes her bed and she lays on it nicely. I mean, hell, some of my older, I'm looking around my room right now. I, we place train on these, on these, on these beds that we, that we um, sell on our website because they're really nice for puppies specifically because they don't give them something to chew on. They're pretty durable. So, if we, when they get older, and I know they're not going to chew stuff up, which all of my dogs are to that point right now, my wife is soft, man. She bought some really nice, comfortable beds for them. They're like, they're cheapies. They're the ones that a lot of my young puppies would chew up. But they're pretty fluffy and pretty soft and pretty cozy, and my older dogs seem to like it. I'm looking at them right now on them. I've, la I've laid on them. My daughter will lay on them with them. Like They're pretty, pretty nice. And so there's no rules that say we can't do that. Provided that the dog's capable of kind of handling it. And we've gotten a point with them that they are. So I'm going to, I wish I had a, hey, do this, try this. I mean, I've done other podcasts like that about this, about crate training. So listen to those, try that. Don't give up. I think maybe you're making progress and maybe it might take more time and more patience on your end. I don't know without seeing it. But I'm going to give you another thing to think about and go, maybe you just need to break that mold and say, you know what? I don't have to put you in the crate because that creates such a mess for us. And you deal kind of, you kind of play the hand you're dealt. If you got a dog that you didn't impact for the first year and something happened where that dog just can't handle a crate situation. If you've got a dog that genetically is predisposed to have major issues when it comes to that kind of stuff, it, you're not going to, you sometimes can't change it. Sometimes you can help it. Sometimes you can change it, but sometimes I'm going to say you can't. And so when you can't, it's time to get creative. And there's a lot of times where I get creative in training. There's a lot of times where I'll do stuff that I did it with this dog and I maybe have never done it with any other dogs before. Or I had to do it with this dog years ago and I remember and 10 years later I get, come across this dog that's similar and I, I remember it because I did it worked for me. So I tried again 
Lo and behold, it works. It doesn't mean that it becomes the norm for me because it's usually a pretty rare thing. Um, it's an oddball type situation. But that's the luxury of having more experience and seeing more stuff because the oddball situations show up and you learn how to deal with them. And you learn, and you also probably learn to realize you can kind of you can kind of do it your own way. You can kind of freestyle it a little bit at times. And maybe sometimes you need to hear that. You need to hear someone say, do it different. Try something different. So I hope that helps, Chris. I'm going to send you an email. I hope that helps someone else that has nothing to do with crate training, but maybe it's a different type of struggle. Don't use that against me and be like, oh, you told me to freestyle it all the time and you just got a mess because of it. I do think that this is a, a rare time and, but it, but it will come up occasionally, and you got to look at look at it from different angles and perspectives. You got to hear the music a little bit different sometimes. I talk about that before. You know, I, next time you're in your truck or your car, turn the bass all the way down, or turn the treble all the way up, or do something. Change the the audio in your in your vehicle and listen to songs that you really like. That happened to me, and I I heard the music completely different the song sounded completely different to me and the reason was is because i just heard it i heard it differently and it hit me differently and so sometimes you gotta look at you might it might be something you've you've listened it's a song you've listened to a million times before it's a situation you've seen a million times before with a dog you change an element in it and you if you can't get it to work you change an element and it just sounds different to you looks different to you handles different to you Sometimes you got to try that, mix it up a little bit. So good luck with it, guys. Uh, Chris, I'm going to send you an email. If you guys would do me a favor, I ask for it usually about this time of the podcast. Um, one, of the, I don't ask much, but one of the few things that I will ask is if you enjoy this, uh, do me a favor and leave a rating wherever you're listening to it. Um, it helps us to grow it and helps us. And essentially, if it grows, it affects more people. And the more people we can help, the better we're doing our job. So thank you guys. Good luck. Um, keep me posted on things and I appreciate your patience with all the, the feedback stuff. You know, we're, we're in the process of working on something right now that I'm very excited about that will allow for some easier direct access to me. It'll be different. Um, more to come on that, but um, that's something that is, is getting very, very close, I think. And um, there's a, I just did a post on our pages as well. On the, if you go to our website on the bottom right hand side, there's a spot for you to sign up for like training information and um, I, there, it's a thing where you put your email address in. And I know everybody, nobody wants to get spammed. We don't do it very often. We only send out emails when it's kind of important stuff. If we're doing sales on stuff, if we have a, a article or something that we want to share seasonally that makes sense. Um, so we don't do it very often. We probably should do it more often, but it is a email list that we have, um, began a long time ago collecting. Uh, I would go there because when this thing goes live, that's where we're going to be sending easy information on how to access it and how to become involved with it. But, um, that's on the bottom right hand side of our page right now, uh, which is dogbonehunter.com. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon. <laughs>